0: When Mike and I did our Week 1 podcast back in 2018, we discussed all 16 NFL games. I was inspired by R.J. Bell's dream preview and wanted to show off my skills as a self-described sharp handicapper. It was a very exciting season for me. I had gone to Vegas for the first time that summer and entered the Westgate Super Contest. The Westgate was the originator of the Super Contest format where you pick five NFL games every week against the spread. When I placed my entry fee on the counter, did I believe I had a chance to win? Foolishly, I did. I had discovered RJ's podcast the year before, and it was the podcast I had been searching for. I wanted to hear professionals talk shop verbalizing the concepts that pro bettors use when evaluating which games to play. While the crew talked about all the games, they focused on which games were contenders for their super contest picks. I learned so much that year, a plethora of information that I had never considered, but also theories and ideas that I had thought about before myself. The information and affirmation gave me the confidence to consider myself a legitimate contender. My mind could wrap itself around betting concepts and narrative theory. I told myself that at some point in my life, I was going to play the contest. The opportunity came about as my wife and I were traveling out to the West Coast that summer. With a year of the sought-after podcast permeating my eardrums, educating and elevating my skill set, the time seemed right to enter the preeminent competition. Along with this, I wanted to take the weekly conversation that Mike and I had been having for years and start my own podcast. If nothing else, doing a weekly podcast would allow me to verbalize my own opinions, fleshing out all the concepts that I was learning and those that I had been constructing myself for years. We went weeks discussing every single game on the schedule. The podcasts were close to two hours long, and I felt they were loaded with info. They were. It was just that much of that info was lousy bullshit. I may have had a good point on a particular game or two, but I had to make five other points for that game as well. There were some games where I had no good points, but that didn't stop me from making five points on those games as well. The shame was, in any given week, I might have three or four original concepts that were actually pretty good. With Mike across the table, those good points could turn into a good back-and-forth conversation. Everything was muddled, however, with the dozens of so-so and just plain bad points I insisted on making. What really brought this to my attention took time. For the first half of the season, I was doing really well in the contest. If I maintained my run, I could make the money, and it would be good money. If I went on a hot streak, anything was possible. And I believed that hot streak could come. I had been properly educated by professors R.J. Bell, Steve Fezik, and at the time, Matty Holt. I was talking every game every week, so I had a great feel for the entire league. What happened in the second half of the season, however, was epic disaster. 1-4, 1-4, follow that up with 0-5. After that, my best week for the remainder of the season was 3-2, which made me feel like Billy freakin' Walters in lieu of how many losing weeks I was stringing together. It wasn't long before my self-deprecating, self-loathing personality showed up to shit all over everything I thought, did, and talked about. Some of that negativity was hyperbolic, but a lot of it was a refreshing dose of much-needed reality. The first change I made was cutting down the number of games we talked about. If I didn't have a point on a game, I would withhold my opinion. And if I had a few really good points on a particular game, I would only talk about those. So going into our second season, the format was changed. Mike and I signed up for an online version of the contest. This was the only way you could play without being present in Las Vegas to enter. In year two, we would each pick our top three games and talk about just those. Three games each, so at most six games from which we would come up with our best five. We got the show down to about an hour and a half. We did this for the entirety of that season and kept that up going into the third season. What was consistent about all three years was that I was in a gambling funk. I felt like I had been getting sharper and sharper learning from the mistakes, and adjusting my thought process. But like so many who struggled to handicap, it seemed as hard as I worked, nothing changed the results. A few wins surrounded by a shit ton of losses. By the end of each season, when I thought I had reached bottom, I kept excavating the floor and finding a new low. My ability to pick dog shit games Allowed me to crack open the earth and fall into a catacombs of bad handicapping. My losing was getting worse, and in all three seasons, the losing reached its bottom at the end of the year. And the bottom was deep. Mariana fucking trench deep. One week, I threw my hands up in the air. I decided the best way to pick our five games that week was to try something involving almost no effort or skill. I came up with the concept I called Ugly Betty." I looked at the schedule and found the five teams who were as bad at playing football as I was at betting it. Basically the worst teams in the league that found themselves in the hardest situation to pull out a win. When I submitted our five picks that week, they were ugly. They were the same bad teams that you would hear about the pros betting all the time. The teams the public wants nothing to do with because their eyeballs can't focus on such hideous athletic endowments. It was kind of fun. We made our picks not based on some expert opinion or sharp-sounding concept. We just said, who are the five teams that only pros will bet because the teams are so bad? The picks went 4-1, and the ugly betty category was born. We would make one of our weekly picks the ugliest pick on the card, every single week. This is why last season, the picks had a more structured format. We would each pick our top game only. Notice we've gone from talking 16 games to 6, to only necessarily 2. And then the other 3 games would be category based. My thoughts on this were based on the fact that every sports podcast I consumed took the R.J. Bell approach, the hosts of the show showing off how smart they were by giving the audience their sharpest opinions. Only one problem, not everyone is R.J. Bell and his crew. In fact, a lot of these pundits were bad at sports betting. You would never know it though. One thing that drives me crazy about betting podcasts is the amount of dishonesty Every person on every show would have you believe they pick 60-70% to winners. If they had a loss, it was some freak instance of bad luck. Even that would be rare since most podcasters will never even mention their losses. I want our show to be the one where we talk about our opinions, but in a more open and honest way. Realizing that as sharp as we try to be, We're still squares, just trying to pick some winners. If we are open and honest, however, it creates a space to talk about the hardships of gambling. How work put in always doesn't equal winning results. We can talk about how frustrating it is to grind and grind, and the only destination reached is financial destitute. This is what gambling really is. It's really hard, and most people do not win. They lose and cost themselves money. That doesn't mean there isn't a good time to be had. It doesn't mean that there isn't rewarding work to be done, deep diving games. It also doesn't mean that losing will last forever. If nothing else, every gambler can sense that turn coming. Call it optimism, call it naivety, call it a kid with a dream. This year, as Mike and I enter the super contest, we will make every pick live on the show every pick will be based on a category we will take a particular narrative and find the game that best fits that will be the pick doesn't matter what our opinion is or what games we consider to be the sharp sides this doesn't mean that if one of us has a handicap that we feel really strong about that we won't share it if nothing else I cannot relinquish the opportunity to espouse my bullshit, but the categories will be the driving force to the flow of the show. At the end of the day, I believe this gives you something unique to enjoy about the Sharp Square Podcast. A focus on the narratives and storylines streamlining the ebbs and flows of the NFL season. It is still a great conversation for Mike and I to have, but does not necessitate us to self-diagnose ourselves with imposter syndrome. To win the contest, you have to run it an improbable 70% or better. Playing 55% edges isn't going to cut it. So why be afraid of going outside the norms of typical betting standards? The podcast will be a brainstorming session on how to be unique and creative, but also how to instill discipline and structure that reflects our betting identity. We will never tell anyone what to think or what to bet, but maybe inspire those who do bet to instill their own unique style. Mostly, however, it should be fun, because gambling should be fun. And with that, here are the categories. Category 1, the share of square. Public teams, loved by the squares, and we love them too. The pros will bet the other side out of contrarian obligation, but we will lean into the public. Just because the majority of people are suckers, doesn't mean they are always wrong. Next category, you should know by now, ugly betty. The sharp side, but no square has the stomach to play them or challenge their opponent. One team that no one is going to want to bet. This does not mean that everyone is betting the other side. Often that side is inflated and just becomes a pass on the game in general. I'm not sure why I called ugly betty. I promise Bettys, it's nothing personal. Next category, market correction. This is mostly based on look-ahead lines that move significantly and become inflated after one standout game. Every week, you can look at the lines for the following week. After the games are played and the lines come out for the upcoming week, compare them to those look-ahead lines. If there is significant movement, this is often due to an overreaction of one team being world beaters or one team being beat up by the world it's a one game sample that creates overreaction we want to buck that trend and be- and bet the other side that has just gotten value let's say the giants in the look ahead line are a two-point underdog and then they get the doors blown off by the eagles i can get down with that as an eagles fan The next week, the Giants are all of a sudden a four-point underdog. The line went from plus two to plus four just because they lost to a really good Philadelphia Eagles team. This is most likely overreaction. And unless there's some sort of significant injury for the G-Men, you can know that this line got moved. Based on the one game sample. Why else would the look ahead line have only been two? So you know you're getting a little value with four. These are great plays that you can make, and you really don't have to dig too deep into them. Just find a website that has the look ahead lines. You can even recall it the following week and compare the numbers. The next category. The chain of custody. We did this last year and it was a lot of, t- a lot of fun. You pick a team to bet in week one. Just, just make it random. Last year it was the Dolphins versus the Patriots and we took the Patriots. In week two, you either bet the Patriots again or you fade them and you go with their opponent. If you fade them, then the opposing team becomes the decision for week three and so on and so on. It makes the decision of at least one game that will be in our weekly picks a no-brainer. You're not searching for a game. You know the team that you're either betting or fading, and the decision just has to be made. It, It takes one of the hard things, a little sidebar here, one of the most difficult things about picking five games is which five games to pick. So I like the idea of just simplifying it here and using the chain of custody to make that decision a little easier. Next category is the media blitz. Look, this is nothing against anyone who likes to get their information from the big football network or the worldwide leader. But there are no sports journalists left. There are nothing but fanboys with their own narratives and storylines who want professional athletes to think that they're cool. These guys often have wild takes based on what the Twitter sphere is saying. Now, we want to know who they are crowning and who they are discarding. And we want to know this because we plan on going the other way. In case you haven't learned this by now, gambling has a lot to do with being contrarian. Next category the prime time fade. Take a team that won on either Sunday Night Football or Monday Night Football and just bet against them the following week. Now, you can all look at your look-ahead lines and there's a very good chance that these nationally televised games, where they're standalone, there's no other games on at the time, these are the most watched games and lead to the most over-speculation. So primetime fade to me is kind of a play on the look-ahead line. If after the primetime game the line doesn't change, you probably really don't have a contender here. But when you do see a look-ahead line that has moved significantly, and it was based on one of these Monday night or Sunday night games, those are sometimes the ones that you can be most assured are made on over-speculation by the public. It also works for the other side too. The team that loses those games is all of a sudden going to have to sell the franchise. You might want to play them the next week. Next category, a favorite of mine, the Admiral Akbar. it's a trap game. The bookies are begging you by putting out a suspect line that just seems way too friendly for players. Remember. No free squares on the bingo card. Remember, the bookies are not your friends. You might say to yourself, this team should only be getting three. Why are they getting three and a half? Because it's a fucking trap. Next category the circle the wagons game. The good team that is falling out of favor. It's time to bring it or the season could be lost. This also happens with revenge spots. If a team lost in the playoffs last year to the upcoming opponent, they might have this game circled on the calendar. Why they would circle a wagon? I'm not sure. But circles seem to indicate motivation. When Buffalo plays Kansas City in the regular season, they're always up for the game since Kansas City takes them behind the woodshed in the playoffs. You know in those regular season games Buffalo's showing up. So it's a good example of the revenge spot and games that teams just know they have to win in order to make their playoff run legitimate. Kind of the opposite of that would be the next category. Call it the playoff purge. Once a team has lost the game that mathematically eliminates them from contention... It's normal for the soul-crushing loss to lead to a less-than-stellar effort the following week. Remember, these players are human. They don't just always play based on their Madden rating. If you've worked all year long with aspirations to make the playoffs, and then all of a sudden in week 13 you find out there's no longer a chance to make the playoffs, eh, players might phone it in a little bit. Now, quick note on this. This does not mean that this is a cash machine the rest of the season. You usually get this the week following the playoff purge, and then after that, the professional quality of these athletes come in. These guys got to know that they're going to be employed next year, and it might not be by the current team they're on. So it could just be resume building. So this only really works the week directly following the playoff purge. Next category, false finishes. You're going to have to excuse me here because if you've listened to the podcast, you know I'm not really a guy who leans too much into stats. It's not that I'm anti-analytics. It's just the fucking ego on people who think their opinions are facts because they give you numbers. Just like I can do, use words to bolster my theories, people can do the same with numbers. As the great Mark Twain once said, there are lies, there are damn lies, and there are statistics. Now let me talk out of the other side of my mouth. I like to look at box scores the day after the game. This goes back to my childhood where I would do this with an actual newspaper. I like to see who outplayed who Based on the numbers, use whatever stats you like, but you can sort of see sometimes a team dominates the other team on paper, but maybe there was a random turnover or some fluky play that creates a win for the other side. This can then have the effect of altering the line. See, look at headlines. If you have a losing team that dominated the stats and the following week they get an extra point from a line change, this can be a very lucrative side. Rarely, but sometimes this can happen with both teams in a given matchup. The value team's opponent might get inflated because they won, even though they lost the stats. If I ever get this perfect storm, I am loading up on this spot. Speaking of spots, the sandwich shop spot. I went into great detail about this in last week's podcast, Another Love Letter to Gambling. Listening to it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. But wherever you get your podcast needs to be one of those four because I don't think I upload it to anywhere else. I'm a little bit technologically in- disinclined. But even though I talked about it last week, I like to hear myself talk. So I will go into it again. If the Steelers just played division rival Cleveland and now they are playing Dallas, but next week they play division rival Baltimore. This is a division sandwich spot where the Cowboys could be a nice play as the Steelers are looking ahead to their biggest rival outside of division games. If the Chiefs just had a huge win against the Bills, now they play Cleveland, and then next week they have the Cincinnati Bengals, this might be the week to plug your nose and bet the Brownies, as the Chiefs are a little flat playing a team that isn't viewed as the playoff threat that Casey and Cincy are. Next category, Mediocre Meteorology. Assume the spread is undervaluing the weather. In reality, this is just a cheap way for me to bet against teams playing in human Florida early in the year, or teams playing at high altitude in Denver in weeks one or two. Later in the season, dome teams playing in the northeast in December. Weather is a factor that you could argue is always factored into the home field advantage, but I love to bet this regardless, so I made it a category. One of the perks of producing the podcast. No offense to you, Sequel, but this one was my call. That's it. Those are the categories. Obviously not every category will be used every week. Some will show up more than others. Ugly Betty, Chain of Custody, those will show up every week. There may be new categories that show up out of nowhere, sometimes during the season. See, perks of being the producer. Regardless, Mike and I will lean into these concepts to create a fun, thoughtful approach to playing the NFL in a super contest form. Take from it what you will, and leave the rest. Buffet style as always. My only ask, if you liked this podcast, consider listening to the next one. Good luck, and happy betting.